Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. It was the draft. It is done. It has come. It is gone. There are Buckeyes who have found new homes, some higher than perhaps some thought, a couple even in the state of Ohio, God forbid. <laughs> we actually got yeah. Buckeyes now in the state of Ohio, so we have that going for us, uh, which is nice. Matt Wilhelm will join in a little bit and uh, give some perspective on some of these guys. And um, Matt, Matt has a very important job with the Cleveland Browns, so that'll be good to talk to him a little bit about that as well, because I know a lot of you listen to this are, are Buckeye fans, but also probably a lot of Browns fans out there too. So we'll get some perspective on that. Um, also some big recruiting news from the weekend that we want to address, and good news for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. So lots to get to. Let's start with this, my friend. And this is – there were six Buckeyes drafted – um in this year's draft this it was anticipated that this would not be quite the haul we've seen in the past couple of years but Ohio State's still very well represented two two in the first round Denzel Ward at number four to Cleveland Billy Price as you know number 21 to Cincinnati uh the second rounder was Taekwon Lewis by the way if you've not read James's piece on Taekwon I highly recommend it on the site um that was great going behind oh, yeah, the scenes with Taekwon is that was excellent work out of James Gregg, who, who does good work for us. And then uh, Sam Hubbard to Cincinnati, so another one, another Ohioan. And Sammy gets to stay home. And then Jalen Holmes, Minnesota, and Jamarco Jones to the Seattle Seahawks. Let's let's start at the top and Denzel Ward at number four. Okay. I'm, I am not Mel Kuyper Jr. I'm not Todd McShay. <laughs> I will not pretend to be. Um, I am not the guy who comes on here and says – such and such is a bad pick, blah, blah, blah. He's going to turn because nobody knows. I mean, these guys don't know. They get paid to do it a lot of money. And, you know, GMs don't know that they, they hit on about half of these things. So so who mm. knows? Denzel Ward going number four to the Cleveland Browns, though, um, was probably the most satisfying pick in the entire NFL draft for me. And I'm, I'm guessing there will be a story with you very similar with the Cincinnati guys. But um, <laughs> just because of Denzel's story. Because uh, I didn't realize oh, yeah, until no, I moved. He, yeah. Yes, I didn't absolutely. realize till I moved up here, Johnny, who his dad was um, and what he meant to a community. Um, mm-hmm. Denzel Denzel's father passed away in 2016. He was, by all accounts, um, not only just an incredible human being, uh, but incredibly fit, and um, shockingly passes away uh, with a heart heart issue at 48 um and i mean they've named a street after him uh in his hometown he was um one of my wife's aunts uh step aunt's daughters worked for him at the at the school that he worked at where he was the principal and and still isn't over it in terms of how good of a man this guy was denzel ward's dad and so when i having read that in the lead up and and i was aware of some of it but not all of it um, but they did a nice job up here covering the story. And so in the lead up, reading some of that and then seeing him get picked by his hometown Cleveland Browns and then seeing his mom and his family at the jersey unveiling on Friday up here and then seeing him throw out the first pitch for the Cleveland Indians, I just thought, wow. I mean, can you imagine that dad looking down on that kid and seeing what has come to fruition? And if there was anybody to play for the Cleveland Browns, then clearly it's Denzel Ward. I mean, what yeah. a... What a perfect story. And and that was one where I knew parts of it, but not all of it until the last week, I suppose. Yeah, I think everything with Denzel is just, it, it's a really awesome thing. And, and you want him to be able to have a lot of success in Cleveland because, you know, it. you're right. It is an incredible story. But more importantly, I think 
for him specifically, I, I think he's just a great football talent as well. Yeah. And, and like, I, that was something that I wrote about last week. And I was thinking about this, especially with regards to, you know, the Bengals picking up some Ohio state players, which I, good picks. I mean, I love <clears throat> that they yeah. got Billy price. Cause I think Billy price, once he comes back from his injury, it's going to be a great addition to an offensive line. The Bengals need help there. Uh, I think Sam Hubbard's going to help out a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. But <laughs> To me, that's the eternal conundrum of this because I love the idea of seeing, uh, you know, Ohio State players on Ohio teams in the NFL. But I want those NFL teams to be worth their time and and to give them success. Yeah. Like I, I don't want, sure. like I want Denzel Ward to be on a team that's going to win a game, right? Like that's that's kind of what yeah. I want to see, and I think they mm-hmm. will. I think you know the Browns yeah. are going to be much better this season than than they were last season, but. You know, I, I don't want to see these great talents that I watched in college kind of languish on mediocre or bad teams. So that to me has always been kind of the push and pull here because I, I want them to be great, but I want them to be great in the you know in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and let's face it, I mean, our our Ohio professional sports teams are not that. I mean, they're they're not contenders for Super Bowls. They're nothing of the sort. And the majority of the time that. Uh, you know, anybody listening to this podcast likely has been alive. The two franchises have been an embarrassment. So, um, you know, that, that, that's a tricky spot. I think it's, I always thought it was just so foolish. Um, you know, like the Browns were so negligent with the previous regime with Ohio state players, like in 2015, not going to pro day. And, you know, I mean, they had, (laughs) there were superstars in that draft and they, you know, were like, they didn't want to participate, which is just nuts. Um, so I, I mean, I will be, you know, I live here now and I will be rooting heavily for, for Denzel Ward to, to, you know, come through. And, and I think he will, I, I think he's great. I, I love seeing the stuff from Greg Williams this week about what Denzel Ward is going to bring and how that was more important than Bradley Chubb to them. If they had a guy who could cover for another half second and they want to play <laughs> press coverage and you right. know that's his specialty. So, I mean, it's a home run. Um, the Billy price pick, you want to talk about home run. I mean, he's going to be healthy. For, for this season. And I think Billy Price will be, you know, just like Pat Elfline and a lot of these other guys, like he's going to, yeah. he'll start for 12 years and be a pro bowler for eight. And, right. and that's just what Ohio state does on the offensive line right now. I mean, I think he will be, he'll basically anchor the Bengals offensive line for the next decade without blinking. Right. And that's, and they needed that. I mean, one of the biggest things that they've, they gave up, they pretty much just released their entire offensive line before, uh, right. you know, 2017. And I was like, that, that should be fine. And then, of course, it wasn't fine. They, they had an atrocious offensive line the entire season. Uh, they've been trying to rebuild it a little bit. And, you know, Billy Price, I think I agree with you. I think he's a big part of that. It, what's interesting to me, so, you know, Ohio State, for whatever reason, it's it's not <clears throat> just that they've had really good offensive linemen. I think they've done really well at the center position. And I, I think it's kind of fascinating how you've seen the succession of, of players that have just done so well yeah. specifically at center. Um, a lot of really cerebral, like, you know, intelligent guys who just understand offenses. And I think, look, as a Bengals fan, <laughs> I kind of talked about this last week. Like, I'm not so much a fan as I am like a well-wisher and that I don't right. wish them any specific <laughs> harm. Um, right. But, you know, because it's 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 a little different for Bengals fans than I think with Browns fans. I don't know that they have that emotional attachment that maybe Browns fans do. But um, I don't know. Some do, but I don't. So, yeah. So I, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I think that he will help them out. I would also not be shocked if the Bengals somehow screwed that up. I do, I really actually, I really do like the pick of Sam Hubbard, though. I think he's going to be a really versatile player. 
Uh, they're going to move yeah. him around a lot. And that's he's going to be able to showcase, I think, some things that maybe he couldn't at Ohio State, in part because, uh, you know, not that they tried to peg him anywhere, but just that there were so many different options on that uh, line that, okay, we're going to have him do this, and that's about it. And I think in the NFL, he's going to get to show his stuff a little bit. Um, yeah. I want to say one more thing. So one more pick. This is this is I think people are sleeping on this a little bit. I think Jamarco Jones going to the Seahawks might be yeah, one of steal. the best steals of the entire draft. That the fact that he went to the fifth round to me is hilarious. Um, I, I think he's going to be an incredible player for the Seahawks. I think they're really, really going to be happy with that pick. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think I, I think every all of these guys who were picked, and this has been a trend since Urban has been the coach at Ohio. I mean, they really don't do much for bus. You know, most of right. their guys play and they're good. So, you know, there was um, I, I think all those guys are in a good situation. We'll talk about Nick Bosa in a second, who will be next year. Um, but I mean, I think it's amazing. Like they three defensive ends drafted and you could argue that the two best are coming back. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Like it's, <laughs> in terms of total talent, the two best are coming back. So it's a it's a wild uh, amount of talent that they have on the defensive line. One guy who was not drafted was JT Barrett. That didn't surprise me at all. I, I think, um, you know, JT, it's a tricky thing with him. And I, I was talking to Anthony Lima, who does a TV uh, radio show up here on 92.3 The Fan, uh, an Ohio State graduate, big Buckeye fan. And we were talking about JT a little bit, and he said, you know, all this kid did was, you know, start for four years, play an integral part of a national championship, holds every record you can hold right. and isn't drafted. And does that tell you how hard the NFL is that yeah. the step like there's probably, you know, 90, 90 percent of college football would have traded quarterbacks with Ohio State last year and would have taken JT Barrett. Maybe that's a little high. Maybe it's 85, but it's probably somewhere around there. And and there wasn't one NFL team that deemed him worthy of being drafted. Um, yeah. it tells you about the skill sets that's required specifically at that position to play at the next level. And, you know, JT obviously just doesn't have it in the belief of them. Now he may, um, I I'm a believer in him in the sense that I think he gets to new Orleans and I could see him making the roster and I could see him being the third string quarterback for a few years behind drew Brees. I mean, I think that you talk about cerebral, he's that right. uh, he's a great locker room guy. He'll do anything you want. So, I mean, I think there's a chance for him to, to kind of hang around in New Orleans for a while. But it, it's a weird um, – it was kind of a weird reality check that how decorated you can be – and that he's not the first. I mean, there's a ton of kids. Eric Crouch, uh, you know, the quarterback for Nebraska, won the Heisman. Jason White, a quarterback from, from Oklahoma, won the Heisman. There's a lot of highly decorated college guys who just – there's no home for them in the NFL. And it speaks to how difficult, specifically at that position, that jump has to be. There's certain things you have to be able to do or you can't do it. Oh yeah. Well, and they look, I'm sure they look at every pass that he made past 20 yards and just shut yeah. up every time. I mean, and that's again, sure. like, I'm not trying to, to say JT Barrett can't play quarterback or anything like that, but th there are definitely deficiencies in his game. The NFL is going to look at and go, this isn't a guy that we're going to put a draft pick on. And honestly, like, first of all, he was already kind of playing from behind because it's a stack draft in terms of quarterbacks. Like they're, they, yeah. like, there's all kinds of dudes out there. Secondly, if you're going to go for a late draft pick on a quarterback, they're just going to go straight measurables. They're going to look for a dude who's six foot four, who yeah. like weighs two thirty and can throw the ball eighty yards. They might play it like you know Richmond. I think there's a guy who's like picked from Richmond or something like that in the late rounds. They might go for something like that, but they're not going to pick up JT Barrett uh, and and you know take a writer on a guy who they don't even think has the physical stature to play the position. So yeah, I, I do think. I mean, I agree. I think New Orleans is the perfect position. I mean, you got Drew Brees who can mentor him and talk to him a little bit. Uh, you've got you know guys that you've played with there already who know you 
uh, can vouch for you, I think, in certain situations. So I think that's a good set, you know, setup for him. You know, if if he's going to make it in the NFL, I think the Saints are, are a great place for him to do that. And I want to see him succeed because I think there's some really interesting things that he brings to the table. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, it, it, I, if he gets that opportunity, who knows? I mean, that's that's really, I think, the bigger question. Because I thought Troy Smith, I mean, I watched that dude as a, uh, you know, a student at Ohio State. And I saw him do some things. I was like, that's an NFL throw. Like, I watched the 1v2 game and I just right. watched him dunking on people constantly and not only that but like duncan on uh you know cornerbacks who would go on to play in the nfl for a long time i mean the Bengals drafted one of them and had him on the team so, for like like seven eight years yeah but and troy smith Troy's didn't not get about talent troy yeah. was never about talent i mean that wasn't what kept him back you know well, it's sure, not that he, but, lacked, he didn't lack arm strength or you know i mean that's not what troy's problem was i mean he had right, other but issues i'm just saying there's a whole demise. plethora of things that the nfl will look at and go you know maybe not and that's you know it just, I, I personally think, and I'll be honest, I personally think the NFL places a huge premium on measurables. And I think, honestly, if Troy Smith were like two inches taller, he probably would have gotten more looks and more shots than he did. Um, I, don't, I think it was, I think people, I think the NFL was tired of his act. And that could end. be it too. I mean, and, and I'm, and that's, I mean, they, that I think two things about the NFL on Troy. I think number one, the way he, obviously the way he played against Florida, because he was projected as a first round pick, right. you know, until, until the Florida game. So the way he played against Florida and then, you know, the attitude that he showed when he was, you know, in the league. And so I think it was, I think those were the things, uh, you know, physically he had what you need. I mean, he's got a, he's got a rocket arm. Um, I mean, hell, he was like, he hadn't played in the league for five, six years. And he shows up at that pro day a few years ago and throws lasers all over the field and he gets tryouts. So, (laughs) you know, like he had the physical JT just doesn't. It's that's the other thing about JT. I think and Buckeye fans certainly can empathize with this. Like, he hit, he maxed out from his physical talent standpoint. Right. He, he used every drop of it. And so when you talk about drafting for potential, that's what the NFL is about in the late rounds. They're like, maybe we can turn this piece of clay into Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. And for JT Barrett, the, the die's already cast. He is exactly who you think he is. There's nothing you can really do about his deficiencies. They kind of are what they are. Yeah, um, they don't see a guy like Tom Brady that they can bring in and, and you know, evolve into this no. masterful quarterback. I think they see a finished no. product in JT Barrett. Yep, he is. He's, he's entirely finished. Um, I saw some already, I mean, the mock drafts for 2019, you heard on the telecast as well with the draft about Nick Bosa going number one in 2019. I think Ohio State is a real chance to have back-to-back number one overall picks. I don't know the quarterback situation in 2020, but I think Nick Bosa, Chase Young, you know, one number one, number one the next two years is, is really – in play kind of and certainly Bosa the front runner now we know who he is um and he will I think he'll actually go into next season with even a bigger bullseye than Joey did and Joey was well known but because of Joey's success in the NFL Nick is going to go in with an even bigger microscope uh on him uh for him to play in or just because of Joey's track record and and most people think there are people saying he's better than Joey and I'm going wow like I think we forget like how good Joey was (laughs) like that's nuts um, so we'll see, but it's, it is pretty exciting to have, you know, it's been a while since Ohio state's had a guy that was, you know, going into the, that football season, who many thought would be the number one overall pick. You probably got to go to all the way back to, uh, to pancake man is probably the last guy who was, you know, many thought would be Orlando was probably the last guy that most people thought, well, he's for sure going to be the number one pick. And that right. seems to be the conversation with Bosa right now. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the the fact that Joey not only had such a great college career, but just has been tearing it up in the NFL. 
uh, yeah. puts all that pressure on Nick. And, and I, you know, and I don't think Nick's going to have a problem. With that. I think he's an incredible player in his own right. And I agree. I think yeah. he's going to, at the very least, I think is if, if he doesn't get injured and, and doesn't have like just a severely, you know, checked out, you know, season in 2018, uh, he's going to be at least a top five pick, top, top five pick. Um, and like you said, I mean, pretty good chance of going number one. So, I mean, a part of it depends, I think, on, you know, who ends up being that first team. But it's really it's hard to go wrong. Like people love drafting uh, tight or defensive, uh, you know, linemen like that. And because I, I yeah. think it's seen as more of a sure bet. Like you don't really have to you know worry about the mental aspect as much because some of these guys you just pin their ears back and they go. Um, and he's, I mean, he's got all the same tools that Joey does. I mean, they they have very similar play styles, and I think they fit very well in with the kind of defenses that NFL teams are running now. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a great shot at going number one. And you know, even if he has you know a two thirds of the season that he did last season, I think he's he's a lock for the top three or five. Yeah, yeah, he's he's going to be somewhere in that vicinity. And in that same draft, several mock drafts that I've seen Nick Bosa number one, um, I saw a Michigan quarterback in the back end of that first round. And that is a departure from what we're used to from the school up north <laughs> going back uh, a very long time. Got to go back yeah. to Chad Henney to find a pro prospect at quarterback at Michigan. Um, but they've got one, and he's eligible, and that's Shea Patterson, the old Miss transfer who uh, was viewed last week in the eyes of the NCAA to be eligible to play right away. And this is the best thing that's happened to Jim Harbaugh's program since Jim Harbaugh came back. It, uh, I think. I mean, I, I think Patterson's great. I thought he's great at Ole Miss. Uh, he should be a perfect fit for Harbaugh's offense. And it gives Harbaugh, for the first time since he's been there, a pro-style pro quarterback, a kid with an NFL arm that NFL scouts will like. And um, if you combine that with 19 starters returning, which is what Michigan right. has coming back next year, if they don't get Ohio State this year, then there's real problems because if you look <laughs> they're never them, getting Ohio State. They don't get them this year. They're not getting them. That's just not. They're it. never getting them. And I mean, you look at their their schedule's ambitious. Um, they got to get Patterson, you know, acclimated. But they should be the favorite in the Big Ten East. I mean, they should yep. be. Um, with 19 players back and Patterson transferring in, who's an established known quarterback, you know, they should be based on that, based on if we believe Harbaugh to be great. Now I still think Ohio state will be the pick by the coaches when they do the preseason. I think Ohio state will be ranked higher, um, than Michigan in the preseason polls because there's such a faith, faith in urban. Um, but the quarterback situation, at Ohio state is still unresolved and it's not at Michigan. And I mean, really, this is, I think for the first time, the Shea Patterson eligibility, decision puts real pressure on Jim Harbaugh to deliver in a big way next year at UM. I think he has to win the the East. Like, I, I just think he has to, I, I don't like the, the, if he does not, if he cannot defeat Ohio state and Ohio state and Nurmeyer end up coming on top again, and what's essentially a rebuilding year where you have kind of uncertainty at quarterback and you're bringing in Shea Patterson. And, and the, the, to me, I mean, one of the first things you said is to me the most important thing. The fact that you have so many guys coming back on a pretty talented roster, really. Um, yeah, because Rashawn Gary, real quick, Rashawn Gary was like a top six pick in yeah. most of these mocks. So right. they've got a lot of talent. That's what I'm saying. And, and so the other thing is you don't have to spend the better part of your you know football season coaching up a backup. I mean, as long as Patterson stays upright, you got a guy who can essentially come in after a month of practice and be ready to go. And that they spent the entire season last year trying to coach up 
uh, a patchwork quarterbacking system because guys yeah. couldn't get it going. They had to bring in like a corn. They had to bring in pretty much everybody they had on the roster. And it was just a mess. And it was every other week. You didn't know who was going to be the quarterback. You solve that. You solve a ton of problems. And this is really time for Harbaugh to put up or shut up because now you've got an established quarterback that you can rely on. You've got a loaded team. You got to do something with it. And if he doesn't, then I think that's their that's their limit. They're a nine ten win team at best under Harbaugh because this is yeah. the best possible situation. Now their their schedule is rough. Their schedule is difficult. But again, when you've got the talent, you've got to navigate it. And they got to, like I said, they got to put up or shut up. They got to prove what they're able to do uh, under Harbaugh. Harbaugh was brought in and is is that well paid to win championships? You got to win at least the division and, and move on after that. Absolutely. And you saw Woodson's comments, of course, he has the amount of days wrong, uh, which you know you might want to get that right. So he's got the Not amount sure. of days wrong, but you, you understand the spirit of it. Uh, you know, I'm a big number guy. It looks like they're giving Patterson number two. I mean, yeah. I see him wearing number two in practice, um, which would be pretty wild. I don't think they've issued that in quite a while. I know Harbaugh. I didn't Harbaugh make a move to kind of get rid of the retired numbers. Did I see that somewhere? I feel yeah, gonna, I feel like he was kind of, you know, like new era, all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, like they're going to unretire some numbers or something. Yeah. So, um, look, it's it's real pressure on Jimbo. So we'll see. I'm, I'm excited. I we did a uh, this week on the television show. We did one. Uh, we did kind of a summer Big Ten power broker preview type show, and we were just kind of going through. And I was looking at the amount of start. Like um, Dino, I think Dino's got 19 starters back. Uh, Penn State's got 18. Michigan's got 19. Uh, Wisconsin's got. I mean, they've got a ton back off yeah. of the 13-1 team. You got Scott Frost at, at Nebraska. I mean, it'll be a while, I think, before he really takes off. But I was looking at him going, man, this is as exciting of a Big Ten to look forward to that we've had in a very long time where there's – I mean, in the East alone, because, you know, everybody's got quarterbacks back except Ohio State, and now with Patterson at Michigan, you, they have at least an established guy. Um, but Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, that is going to be a dogfight at the top. I mean, oh, they're yeah. – Michigan State's going to bounce back. I mean, they get a lot of guys back. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun 2018 football season to say the least. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, and I think you know, you just all this, in my opinion, just goes back to coaching. The, the Big Ten has done so yeah. much work, and not just the head coaching, but the assistant coaches. Every all of that has been elevated in the past five to seven years. I think a lot of that goes. Uh, you can credit Urban Meyer for a lot of that for changing Agreed. how they approach Completely. stuff. Um, and it's it's cool to watch. It's fun. I like I like that the Big Ten isn't a joke. Like that's that's pretty much it. I like the fact yeah. that the Big Ten isn't just the butt of all these jokes and and how terrible it is and how crappy it is. It's a legitimately tough conference, one of the toughest in the country, and it'll be that way in 2018 again. Yes, yeah, it will. It's going to be loaded. All right, up next, we will uh, go over a lot of this stuff with former Buckeye captain Matt Wilhelm. He's going to join the program uh, for more on the draft, and uh, we'll ask about Shea Patterson, the pressure on Michigan as well. Uh, still to come, of course, ask us anything. Before we do that, though, we do encourage you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. It's our pleasure to bring in uh, a, a friend of the program who just happens to be a former Buckeye captain or national champion and an insider with the Cleveland Browns. Now, good buddy, Matt Wilhelm joining us. Uh, Matt, Matt, let's, let's, let's do the Buckeye stuff first, and then we'll get into some Brown stuff with you as well, because it was just such an interesting draft. And I know you had insight that I'm sure you were biting your tongue on all week leading up to that draft. And you had to, you're doing your radio show. You're doing your radio show and you got to act like you don't know anything. And I know you know things uh, because I know how it works over there. So, um, Let's start with Denzel at number four. Uh, the Denzel Ward story 
is one that you can write a movie about with uh, in terms of who his dad was and what he meant to the community that Denzel's from up here. And, and, and that speaks for itself and it's been written and I encourage you to read it if you haven't, but let's talk about Denzel Ward, the player. And let's talk about the idea of Greg Williams saying Denzel Ward at number four is more important than Bradley Chubb at four, because in the eyes, of a lot of people. And when I say a lot of people, I mean, mostly fans, um, that was the pick was Bradley Chubb. And yet the, sure. the Browns went Denzel at four. Uh, well, first and foremost, I just want to say that I think, you know, the draft process is about four months long where we get hit immediately, especially for us as a Browns fan, immediately when the season's over, the you know, that top draft order starts working itself out based on record, and you immediately start mock drafts, start flowing out. And I think over the course of those four months, people start to get brainwashed into believing everything they read. And when they see Bradley Chubb mock to us at four, mock to us at four, mock to us at four, they just believe it's like, man, anything else but Bradley Chubb at four is failure. And yeah. I think that's where the shock factor came in when it came to Denzel Ward being selected number four overall and coming to the Cleveland Browns. And then, you know, the stories with Peter King and his conversations with Greg Williams and Greg Williams comments. And then I think I, something I mentioned on my show on Cleveland Browns daily. And then I think uh, Miles Garrett mentioned on, you know, the NFL network at some point when asked about Bradley Chubb and how great that would be. But then Miles Garrett quickly turned to, well, I don't know if he's going to be a Cleveland Brown, but the guy that I know that is, is Emmanuel Agba. And I can't wait to get back, you know, in shape and him, right. you know, kind of recover from his injury and us be on the field a hell of a lot more together. And that's what I'm encouraged about. So to me, that was kind of like that. I mean, it's great for a player to say that, but I think it's a, a coach is influencing that message for Miles Garrett because they know that they can both be so productive when both are healthy. And, th and I think as we heard the comment, 28 snaps on film where Miles Garrett was within a step or a step and a half of a quarterback when if the quarterback were to hold the football just a little bit longer, it would have been a knockdown, would have been a sack, you know, who, a sack force fumble, all those things a game record like Miles Garrett could have be, could have been lived out had we had guys on the back end just to hold their coverage that much longer. And I think Greg Williams, everywhere he's been, has had that shutdown, lockdown corner. And what I'm picturing in my mind, guys, is Joe Hayden early in his years yeah. as a Cleveland Brown into his prime for maybe that five- or six-year window before, you know, he kind of got old and slow really fast. That's what I think Denzel Ward were served for the Cleveland Browns. And, of course, we put the emphasis on being comfortable with who we were up front, making those additions via free agency, E.J. Gaines, Terrence Mitchell, T.J. Carey, Demarius Randall is going to go back to free safety, and boom, we got a lockdown. I think now that's, that's – the that's it. I think that's real interesting because Denzel, this is the other part, Matt, when you think about Denzel, um, there's a track record of Ohio state corners adapting quickly to the NFL and being Lattimore was great. I mean, he's great last year. He's one of the best corners in the league last year as a rookie and that most of them have delivered of late. Uh, well, they've delivered forever. It's basically cornerback you. Um, but, but in terms of Denzel and his transition, that the speed is there. We know, he, he reminds, I hate to throw this out there, but the way that he plays, I don't know if he's quite the hitter, but he, he does hit. There's a little bit of Antoine Winfield in there, isn't there? There is, and I think even furthermore, that's, I would say he's a little Antoine Winfield-esque of maybe the, the 2000s era of Ohio State football. And then I would even go furthermore and say, I think he's a little bit more Bradley Roby. You know, okay. he's got the long yeah. speed, very explosive athlete. And that's the one thing that, you know, we, we spoke to, I spoke to Greg personally. We've had an Elliot Wolf in studio on Cleveland Browns Daily. And when you bring up Denzel Ward, obviously the guy ran a 4-3-2, so he can run. So if he gets beat, you know, at the line of scrimmage and press man, 
kids fast enough to catch up to A.J. Green, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., Julio Jones. And then everybody starts to knock his size. And then you get into his measurables and what he did at the Combine. I think he led all defensive backs, or, or in, in specifically corners in general, in broad jump. And I think he was like tied for second in vertical jump at like 39 inches. So this is a guy who can not only make up, but play the ball very well when it's in the air and leap with, you know, that great ability to jump up and, and live in the world of Julio Jones and AJ Green in our division at six foot four. So I guess this is, you know, you guys, we were just talking about like, you know, Bradley Roby and Lattimore and, and Ward and all that. And one of the things that I've always wondered about with the NFL draft is obviously there's an enormous amount of research and legwork that goes into evaluating these guys. But I've also wondered based on, I don't want to say reputation, but based on the uh, results that colleges that NFL teams have seen from Ohio state cornerbacks and at other positions too, but especially at cornerback, does that, you know, results, do those results help influence maybe the idea that you want to take a guy like Denzel Ward for, or you know, look at sure. other Ohio state position players because of that reputation, I guess, that they might have on the field. Yeah. That's, more, that's a great maybe, question. Not more so, but, but equal to uh, the type of evaluation that they, they make with anybody else. Absolutely. And I, and I've asked that question, uh, of course, being a Buckeye and wanting to hear anybody with power in any organization talking well about my Buckeyes, but I asked that question, right. Elliot Wolf. And of course, he, put, he pokes fun right at me. I knew you were probably going to ask me an Ohio State question and, like, build up Ohio State. And I'm like, well, thanks. Of course I am. I'm a Buckeye. But, but uh, he, he did say that, you know, when the same way that you can talk about Baker Mayfield, maybe not chopping up the Big 12 because we know the Big 12 doesn't play much defense, but then you go to what he did against Ohio State, and then you go to, like, maybe what he did against Georgia in the first half. And now Georgia kind of flipped the script on him and change things up and force them to work. And that's where, you know, the game really fell into Georgia's hands. But you go into some of the, those games and you look at Baker Mayfield and you say, playing on the biggest stage against great opponents, the guy dominates. And I think that's what, you know, you love about Baker Mayfield. And then, you, you know, switching back to Denzel, you look at uh, what, uh, what Ohio State has put into the NFL in the last few years. Eli Apple, Gary Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, and now Denzel Ward. And, and I think for everybody that kind of was so shocked by Ward, here's a couple you know, kind of closing comments is, A, if we didn't take Ward at four and we took Chubb, he was going five to the Broncos. So for everybody to think that yeah. we overdrafted this young man, you know, out of Ohio State, you, you know, you lost your marbles because John Elway was going to pick him with the next pick. And the other issue is, to go back to your point, is there is the effect of Ohio State defensive backs, regardless, because – Denzel Ward was a one-year starter. Marshawn Latimer was really like a one-year starter. They were all kind of like role-player, nickel guys, special teams guys that earned their way. And when they got their opportunity in that, in that firestorm gauntlet that is making it – I don't want to say making the team, but being at Ohio State and then eventually playing is they go out and they play so well that general managers and evaluators feel so comfortable because of the coaching of Coach because of the, the recruiting that happens at Ohio State that every single day. And this is what we're getting to with the Cleveland Browns roster is the, the one word is we're finally going to be competitive at many positions as opposed to players making this team by default. And I think at Ohio State, for if you, at, especially now more so than ever, if you deserve to play, you have gone through the grinder and showed these coaches you are better than some other four-star, five-star athletes on that football team. Now, Matt, you know that a lot of people in this fine state who are Buckeye fans are also Browns fans. And um, and and the Baker Mayfield pick was a surprise 
to people who were following this, as you alluded to earlier, from afar. Uh, in the building, I don't think it was quite the surprise as it was for the, everybody else. Um, but but nevertheless, this this is a guy who we watch plant a f- Now, it doesn't bother me. I liked it when he plants the flag. I mean, I said it on this show, I've said it on others. I like when he did it. I like his spirit. If I wish he played for me. I, I really do. Um, you've gotten to meet him and, and your impressions of him. I'm curious as he is now the face, you know, of the Cleveland Browns and, and where they go from here. And John Dorsey's success or failures as a general manager will be judged almost entirely on this pick of Mayfield. It will. And I think the one thing that everybody, you know, we've heard from Alonzo Highsmith in his time at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and their stories and tweets, you know, about, about his comments. We spoke to Elliot Wolf. I spoke to John himself. And as you said, he had a chance to, to, to meet Baker Mayfield. To me, Baker Mayfield in person comes across as, as a humble, excited individual who, mm-hmm. you know, is walking around the Browns building and, and Bo, you know, well, just with his eyes yeah. wide open, you know, taking it all in, meeting people just with this, like, holy crap, I can't believe it's actually happened, smart, like kind of smirk on his face. But then yeah. when, you, when you hear people talk about, you know, who he is and what really sold it for him, it was – just the, again, the, the moxie and confidence and, you know, in some cases on a football team, there are sinking ships around you and Baker Mayfield just starts, you know, oaring out the water and has everybody raise up to his level and he drags them along and, and puts, you know, so much effort and time into his craft. And I think, you know, what separated him from the other guys is just his story to have walked on at Texas Tech, earned that job as a freshman, you know, then he gets hurt loses the job, transfers to OU, walks on, you know, has to sit out a year, then then comes back and balls the way he did in his last two seasons yeah. at Oklahoma setting those records. He is so deserving of everything. And I think that in itself for anybody that was even speculating about that the fact that he and Johnny Menzel are the same person is so is so night and day because Johnny expected things and Baker Mayfield worked for everything. You know, the other thing that is interesting, and you brought this up uh, with Denzel when you were talking about it's it's really a perception versus reality because what we've come, uh, what's what we've come to find out in the days following the draft is from his own agent and from others that Mayfield was going no less than three. Like if you don't take him at one, he's gone at three, and the Patriots right. are talking about going into two. So um, in fact, Dorsey has said the only time that there was any interest in any of their picks in terms of moving up was for Baker. So right. while, while people in the outside are like, oh, you're taking a six-foot quarterback, number one overall, the NFL was saying, hell yeah, we are. Right. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, Browns fans can, whether you like it or not, he's ours now, at least for the next four years, hopefully with a fifth-year option that, that we pick up or renegotiate a long-term deal because he is the face of the franchise. But uh, the news over the last 24 hours, I'm sure that you guys are very well of, is that the Patriots – flew to see Baker in Austin, Texas on Monday, the week of the draft. And to meet with him, to, you know, Josh McDaniels went and just met with him because there were serious consideration that the Patriots were going to package both their ones, multiple twos, probably future ones to move up to number two and trade with the New York Giants to take Baker Mayfield. So if, and this is in a nutshell, if Baker Mayfield was good enough for Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the Patriots organization, right. You better damn well be good enough for the Cleveland Browns. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well said, yeah. You would hope. <laughs> um, you know what, Matt? I, I really want to get your opinion on this. We were talking a little bit uh, before you came on um, about JT Barrett. And, you know, he went undrafted. He, he signed with the Saints. And one of the things that I was kind of curious about, this is, I guess, another how 
quarterbacks and talent is evaluated uh, type question. But to me, and, and what we were kind of discussing was the idea that if you're going to take a flyer on a position like quarterback, especially in the later rounds, it's going to be on a guy that is the prototypical quarterback sure. who's six foot three, six foot four. Can a guy like JT Barrett, who is a UDFA and, and goes to a situation that I think is really great in, in uh, the Saints, can he have success in the NFL despite the fact that he may not have the types of measurables that, you know, front offices would like to see out of guys that they take maybe in the back end of the well, draft? Well, I guess but before I comment, what, what do you interpret as success in the NFL? Well, that's a great question. I mean, to me, I mean, JT Barrett making a, making a roster and being on a roster as a second or third uh, guy for multiple years. To me, I think it's a success for him in the league. I would I would absolutely uh, concur. Uh, though here's the here's the thing, and, I, and I'll and I'll do my JT Barrett thing, and then I'll, I'll jump off of it, and probably to the chagrin of many is I appreciate <laughs> JT Barrett for all he's done for that program over the last four years for as the as the player and as the person. But and I'll and I'll jump back and forth between NFL and Ohio State is I think the same lid that came off of the Ohio State offense when Cardell Jones came in for those last three games after JT Barrett leaving is now again off of Ohio state's offense. Mm. There's no cap. There's no lid. There's no conservative JT Barrett, you know, with the helm. And I think we're finally going to get a quarterback that can, has the big arm that can make, do everything that JT does in time and still make great decisions in the zone read and, and, and win with his legs. So I think the opportunity to win national championships has reopened for Ohio state, even though we've been hyper successful and won double digit games, but Urban Meyer doesn't care about beating USC in the Cotton Bowl. He wants national championships. <laughs> and I think once yeah. again, we're going to get there now that JT Barrett is gone. Last thing is that uh, I think that he is likely going to make an NFL roster, uh, probably on a practice squad and be fully developmental. And then I do think that all his you know, inadequacies will eventually sh- you know, be, be shown. And he'll just eventually drift off into the Buckeye legend lore. Yeah, he'll be on the staff. He'll coach. That's probably what he'll end up doing. Absolutely. Coach. Yeah, and he'd be good at that. And look, you don't have to be I, – I, I said this earlier in the show, Matt. Like, to me, JT maxed out his skills. Like, he achieved the maximum for his God-given abilities. I mean, there isn't any more he could do. I mean, he holds every record of consequence at Ohio State and in the Big Ten. I mean, he, you know, he's a three-time captain at Ohio State. That's They've never had that. I mean, he's – He's maxed out. Like it's okay if that's the if that's it. That's most people would die to have that. You know, that you don't he doesn't necessarily I don't I guess what I'm saying is I'm not going to view JT Barrett as anything based on whatever happens going forward. He'll always have what he did at Ohio State. And Absolutely. I do agree with your other points as well because I do think it'll open up um I and then we'll have you on in the fall. And we'll talk about uh to talk about what they'll do then and how the offense will look different uh, with, with new quarterbacks. Appreciate your time, buddy, as always, my good my friend. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much. I want to remind you to don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter, rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time for the final uh, segment of the show, and that means ask us anything, my friend, on uh, on the first day of May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a sunny day. How about that? It well, it's like a hundred thousand degrees outside. I hate it. I don't. I don't like spring. I don't oh my like god! Summer. You can't possibly be complaining about considering what we've had. We haven't no, seen the I'm, sun in six months. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you like the way you liked spring? No, I hate spring. I don't. I want oh, it to okay. be cold. Like I want spring it to is be the worst. 
it, if it's like 60 degrees throughout May, I'm I'm cool with it. Like I don't I, I hate the heat so much. I'm a disgusting human being to begin with. And when you add what would heat, be the ideal climate for you then? Like what would be the the place <sighs> on the you globe? Know, like would it be like Iceland? <laughs> no, but probably you know, maybe like southern like Sweden or Norway, like Oslo would be good. Maybe Oslo Stockholm. might be good for you. Yeah, I, I could be- see you really thriving in Oslo. I would enjoy that a lot. I think yeah, I would I think I think do well there. The, the fjords. Yeah. I would love the fjords. Yeah, I think you'd do uh, very well there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got to ask us anything. If you guys want to send us in questions, please do so uh, at dubcast at 11warriors.com via email or at 11dubcast on uh, good old Twitter there. And of course, we have a question from our very good friend, Alvin. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy this question. He asks, what is our worst publicly pronounced sports take? publicly pronounced yeah so one that we have actually a take that we have that, put out there oh in, the, in, in public and people have uh you know people have uh um absorbed probably the one i screwed up the most to this point has been harbaugh i mean i was pretty <laughs> adamant that, that he would be michigan's urban um yeah. and that he would i said it on a lot of platforms and i said we're headed for a 10 years war part two and i thought he would recruit five-star quarterbacks year in year out and steady diet of powerhouse running backs and it just hasn't happened um maybe it'll happen this year with shea patterson he gets a transfer quarterback maybe that's how he skins the cat um but i was pretty adamant that he would he would be i I never ever thought he'd be equal to urban but i thought he'd be maybe just a rung below as opposed to several rungs below well i think and i think the key difference there is just if urban meyer doesn't have a quarterback they're still going to win 11 games i mean the, the the roster will be good enough the the coaching will be good enough they'll they'll make yeah. hay uh but you just didn't see that and you haven't seen that with harbaugh and i think that's probably the biggest damn you know damning statement i on on his uh uh coaching that i think we've seen so far is that you get, he has to have certain players or he's not going to be successful and to me that's yeah you know that that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely not uh, going to put him in the same realm as Urban. I think my worst. I <laughs> I was telling everybody who would listen in college that uh, that Mo Wells was going to be like the dude. Like I was thinking, <laughs> Mo Wells. Like, I thought Mo Wells. I thought Mo Wells was going to win a Heisman. I thought he was going to go out and run for like eighteen hundred yards. I don't know why <laughs> I thought that. Um, but I was really adamant about it and you know, <laughs> he, he, Rasta Wells, he, he got the dreads, he looked cool, but it just, it didn't, it didn't pan out. And I'll, I'll be honest, a little bit of a Lydell Ross fan for a hot minute. I don't know why, again, <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. Back. Probably the worst starting running back in the history of Ohio state sports <laughs> or Ohio state football. And I was like, for a couple of games, like, yeah, I bet this guy can, he, he can take yeah, over. work. <laughs> so, you know. I've tried to evolve since then, but those are those are atrocious takes that I had, and I I was like, yeah, man, you, you just keep an eye on this guy. I just, oh, yeah, just man, I thought Jake Stoneburner was going to be a leading receiver one year. That's that worked out real well. So yeah, that might have more to do with the offense than Jake. Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Never trust it. Never never bet on a tight end and a Jim Trestle offense. Let's see. No, no. Uh, last one here. This is from Ken. Um, he so. I'm, he's got a little bit of a rant. I'm not going to get through the whole thing, but he's referencing a little bit of a blow up uh, at the uh, the service for for Coach Earl Bruce uh, yeah. with one of our super fans, uh, and he just yeah. I guess he just wanted our opinions on how we feel about the uh, super fans and and you know Buckeye guy and all those guys uh, who you know kind of yeah. make it about themselves a little bit. 
<clears throat> yeah, it's tricky because um, it's tricky because there. I mean, I saw Mo Claret come in support of John Chubb, uh, Buckeye guy. I saw D Miller do it as well. Um, I think that what you will see is a, a common thread of um, a lot of former African American players who support Buckeye guy uh, mm -hmm. pretty staunchly um, and are pretty loyal to him. And uh, Mo Claret had a in his tweet talked about you know John bringing him you know food and stuff to, you know stuff at the stuff in prison visit him in prison yeah um, you know so I think it's easy I think there is a you know I don't no one wants everything has to get racial but I think there is a little racial undertone to Buckeye guy um, and one more positive thing that I will say about him was when my mom my mom died in the James and. Uh, four or five years ago and when she was sick in the james he would come up like he didn't know i was up there there was nothing but i would see him up there on the floor and he would go in and talk buckeye football with people who were in cancer treatment and um he had no idea that i was up there or any i mean there were, there were no cameras or anything like he was just doing it um so those are the positive things i can say the negative things i can say and i've heard a lot of negatives of him pushing himself into situations and trying to become you know kind of the star of every show and charging for autographs and pushing kids out of the way to get the, near the cameras i mean i've heard all of that stuff i've never seen any of it but i've heard all of it um and i did obviously hear what happened at coach bruce's um you know, at his funeral. And I think that the, um, the autograph thing on the, uh, that, that placard or whatever that, you know, that he signed, I think that is, is kind of an honest mistake that can be made. But I think the other, I mean, based on what I've seen, I don't, I wasn't there, but based on what I've seen, but in terms of, from what I understand, and again, I wasn't there, but from what I understand, what he did at the actual service, you know, with the cheering and the, that's, really out of line and then to dress yeah. like that to a funeral is just nonsensical so um you know he made a pretty big blunder there um you know you ch a lot of these things everybody wants you know black or white yes or no burn them or love them and this is probably mostly in the gray so at least from the experiences of i've had with the guy firsthand i think that's i think it's a completely honest answer i mean ken and his question basically said he doesn't have any real big problem with with these guys i mean and, and honestly yeah. like i've I've seen both of it with with Chubb as well. Like I, I've seen this guy, you know, go to various events and raise money for charities and things like that. Um, I've heard the same stories that you, uh, you know, just told with you know going to the hospital and whatnot. And I think one of the things that rubs people the wrong way is that a lot of it is also self promotion. And people like, I think people need to accept that that's just kind of part of the gig. When you see a guy like Buckeye Guy or Buckeye Man or any of these other guys who are wandering around, yeah. I mean. It's enormous part of it is just self-promotion and they want to get attention for themselves. And there are worse things to do in the world than that. Um, I think, you know, what he did with the the memorial services, it was just stupid and, and not defensible yeah, at all. I'm not, I'm not coming out there to, to support that in any way. But I also think that as a general concept, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's annoying that the media, I think, gives them so much attention. And yeah, and it's basically ESPN. To, yeah, it's basically and, and ESPN. really. Yeah, and, and they really, really and they CFP. seek them out in these games. Like they yeah, are they always do. in a shot, and I, I don't like the idea yeah. in in concept of super fans like that driving uh, the perspective of Ohio or the perception of Ohio State fans. I don't like the idea that they're always front and center, but that's not necessarily their fault. I mean, those are the decisions made by you know media companies to put those guys front and center and, and to have them on TV. Um, so I, you know. To me, the the best super fan is the pom pom guy 
who walks around in a suit made entirely of scarlet and gray pom poms. Yeah, who looks well, like Neutron Man terrifying, great, right? What say again? What's that guy's name? Neutron Man. He was gone. Oh, Neutron I got Man. There, but... Well, Neutron Man was fan- Neutron Man spoke at my when I was at Ohio State. He died a few years later, unfortunately, but okay. he actually spoke uh, the first week I was at Ohio State. He spoke to all the freshmen about being a good, you know, loyal Ohio State fan. Oh, and all that's cool. Like that. Very good. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but that stuff yeah. has to develop organically, and I think that it just seems like kind of a you know a lot of artifice when it when you look at these you know super fan stuff. And I think people see that and they think it's fake and they get angry because uh, nobody hated Neutron Man, but that's because it was something that I think developed you know a little more yeah. naturally. And, and like anything, it was it wasn't shoved down your throat like this yeah. stuff is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's so much exposure now to these guys like and i think people are that. Man, i don't think they like that i don't think they like having that constantly in their faces or, or having that as yeah. the base of ohio state fans so yeah. i get that no i agree yeah i agree <laughs> i think i think there's two sides to it and um you know i i i'll be interested to see i mean i don't think anything's going to happen with it i think it'll you know it'll be something that you know he's going to have to deal with though going forward and i'm sure he's not real fond of having to deal with it because this has garnered a lot of negative attention for him for, to say the least yeah well, it's going to be more yeah. difficult for him to go to some of the events that I think he's been accustomed to doing. But yeah, um, you know, he's still going to be on TV. He's still going to be at every game. You know, that's that's just yeah. the way it's going to be. So yep, that's the way it'll be. Yeah. All right, that's, buddy. Uh, that's all our questions. Let's ask us anything. All right, very good show. We thank Matt Wilhelm for joining us as always, and you and I will visit again next week, my friend. Yep, absolutely. See you next week.